welcome to well my first uh, LinkedIn live webinar and I'm here today with Tatu from Rollbill and we're going to be talking about becoming a leader in game art direction. Hi everyone, this is Chris Bennett here, a Nordics Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. A little bit of context, so I'll do a bit of an introduce, uh, introduction. Sorry. So my name's Andy. I'm part of the gaming team and on Evolution, and I cover um, freelancers, contractors within the gaming industry, purely focusing around uh, art and design mostly as well. So like I said, we're going to talk about becoming a leader in game art direction with Tatu today. So Tatu, do you want to introduce yourself briefly then, I suppose? Briefly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We were, we're talking about like, should I start from the 1900s <laughs> and my my story through the, the kindergarten, but um, in a nutshell, um, I've been uh, now at Rovio for a little bit over eight years. Before that, I was working at Remedy. Before that, Digital Chocolate, Mr. Good Living. In the gaming industry, I've been around 20 years, a little bit over. Before joining uh game industry or getting my first full-time position in the gaming industry, I was actually destined to become uh, art director in the advertising industry. Mm. And I often tell how, how I was kind of like felt that joining games industry that wasn't that big of a deal uh, 20 years ago uh, felt like a, actually a big jump. It felt like I'm going into some kind of unexplored territory. Mm-hmm. But that's that's how, uh, how it's been. I, I've loved every se- uh, second yeah. of uh, being in the industry. No, that's fantastic. What inspired, uh, like, how did you become an art director at Rovio? I'll talk us through that journey of going into Rovio and where you are now. Yeah, um, I think like um, my, my journey into, maybe it's kind of like easier to understand if we start from like uh, my journey from individual contributor roles to the leadership roles in general. Um, I've always been uh, keen to be the problem solver. I've never been looking for leadership positions mm-hmm. or becoming like making a big show of myself i pretty much hate public speaking i don't want to put myself into this kind of scenarios uh i've learned to accept it as one part of my my role and my 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 job but it's not something that i naturally have a need of when seek it out yeah i don't seek seek for it so uh often uh uh, back in the days uh especially when we were making mobile games for java phones feature phones uh the teams were very small so often it was like one or two artists and one of them had to be the lead Mm -hmm. the the vision owner so it was kind of like natural for me to go into those uh roles very early in my career um and i think i've had been like an art lead in probably 15 20 project before i Mm -hmm. made the transition to the art manager roles and the supervisory roles uh and slowly my focus then shifted more to the people side. Mm-hmm. 
um, sometimes I, I do tell the story also that uh, one part of my um, how I've moved more towards that kind of roles has been also the the fear that many artists probably can relate to where you're uncomfortable and not believing in yourself mm -hmm. so you rather uh, leave the big parts to others to do and you, you you let others shine and you're just kind of filling in the gaps in between different roles and that's in my experience that's also kind of like uh, shared by many of uh, other art leads and art directors I've talked to is that they've ended up only doing the kind of in-between things mm -hmm. because like most of their time goes into managing either the project timelines, the project vision, uh, dealing with different kind of problems that might pop up. And then in the, the kind of art director side, the problems are less and less related to the project and more and more the people. Mm -hmm. Finding the right people, building the teams, building trust and, and making a uh, the work environment, the best possible work environment for for your team. Mm -hmm. And um, we were actually just talking a little bit before we got on air about the best leaders are the ones that don't necessarily want to be in the leadership position. So yeah, it's interesting how you found yourself in that position as well as in, into leadership. Yeah, and uh, just like many others um, in these kind of roles, like I've, I've done my back and forth. Mm -hmm. yeah. Usually you go a little bit too deep into the managerial roles and there's like, you start missing too much of the individual contributor mm -hmm. times. And then suddenly you kind of see yourself moving again forward and closer to the managerial roles. Uh, it hasn't been uh, that long. I would say that probably like the past five or six years where I finally started to feel really, really comfortable yeah. uh, with the people being the main focus of my day-to-day -day work. That's interesting. And Within those, I mean, you've been at Rovio for now eight years. Yeah. And you, within those five years, you say being comfortable as a leader moves on to our sort of next question or point that we're going to ask is what sort of skills and qualities does it take to be a leader? So uh, in your experience, you know, you will have gathered up a lot of those over the past five years where you say you feel comfortable. What are the sort of key skills and abilities for yourself? I, I think like in, in this kind of roles where you're still kind of, you are part of your craft. So art is essential part of like having the, the, the strong skill sets and know-how of how to actually perform mm -hmm. at artist jobs. You have to have that background. You have to have that understanding. Uh, you, it makes it so much easier for you to relate to the problems arising from the projects and arising from the creative individuals in your team. Uh, the leadership skills then, those are very universal. Those are the ones that are uh, pretty much the same across uh, different, different uh, industries. We'll go, on, we'll go on to the leadership. In terms of, we'll stick on art direction. So yeah. tell me the skills and abilities around being an art director. And then the next we'll follow on with skills and abilities around leadership. Because I'm really interested to hear both. But I know a lot of people yeah. out there will be wondering around, if I specifically want to be a leader in art direction. Yeah, what are the art direction skills that I need to, to pick up on? I I think um, you have to be doing a lot of art, pick up to drain your eye. Um, sometimes in this role, you also kind of end up being a situation where your eye is more trained than your hand. Mm -hmm. So the discrepancy about your individual yeah. attributor skills and your ability to see and direct the art uh, and come up with good vision. Um, that does come from experience. It comes through through experience. You have to have to get uh, more and more projects under your belt, uh, 
Uh, some people have more natural talent than others. Some people just have like really, really good taste. Uh, some people have to work harder in uh, kind of building their visual library mm -hmm. in their head. Uh, it comes from uh, getting yourself exposed to a lot of different kinds of art. Watching movies, animation, yeah. reading comic books, playing games, kind of uh, infusing uh, the references from all around the pop culture into mm -hmm. you so you can use them when you need to. There's uh, an element to that of also putting yourself out in positions which styles of art that you don't necessarily like or enjoy you know not always doing what's comfortable what's just you know what the style that you like and that you've done but finding new areas to explore yeah yeah no i, I think there's like a lot of also overlap in some ways to for example user experience where you really need to understand your audience mm. and uh, for me the um, art direction always starts from understanding the audience. You can't just like start doing something that this is, this looks good. And you just like start yeah, feeling yeah. and try to make everything look good. You have to think about the function. There's a saying of form follows function. You have to think about like, what's the function? What are you trying to achieve with the product that you're doing? So you have to work together with the design and the, you have to have a good understanding of the market. So like personally, if I would have to kind of summarize my art direction pro, uh, process, it goes pretty much from starting from product positioning mm -hmm. and then all the time moving uh, from more abstract ideas and uh, uh, to towards more descriptive, descriptive and more specific uh, descriptions of the art style. Mm -hmm. So I might, might start from something as abstract as the product positioning, like how does this product relate to the different other products out there? What's the relation of this product to, to its direct competitors, indirect competitors? Uh, what's the, the, the place? What's the order? And, and then from there, uh, working through different kind of, uh, uh, different kind of, uh, uh, ways of describing that vision in a more descriptive way. So usually it comes from product positioning to mood boards, from mood boards to concept art, from concept art to uh, the the kind of, for me, the final step, yeah. usually the visual target screenshots or visual targets. In AAA, you often see like visual target demos. So you do like a vertical slice that is the, sets the uh, vision in a very concrete way and usually playable form. Uh, on the mobile side, I have like a lighter uh, approach where uh, it doesn't need to be like a fully playable visual target or vertical slice, but it's it's kind of like a fake mock-up mm -hmm. of how the game looks like when it's done. Yeah, um, And I do it for multiple reasons. And it stems from the time when uh, we were working probably like uh, 15, 20 years ago on, on uh, feature phone games for the old Nokia feature phones. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, often back in the days, you had to sell your game before any development on that game had actually even started. Mm -hmm. So often we got the brief from product mar product managers who are not anything like the product managers we have nowadays yep. in the gaming industry, but uh, they were the people who were uh, managing the relationship with the uh, store owners. And they had a, they have, might've had like a success in selling like a idea. Like, hey, let's make a Brick Breaker Revolution game. like. It's going to be Argonoid game, and there's going to be unlimited mm -hmm. uh, 
levels. Yeah. And that's an actual project. I'm, I'm still actually pretty proud of that project. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. from 2007. But that was the, the brief we got from the, uh, from the product ma- ma- managers. So we started working against that brief and we had to make screenshots of how does that game or how should that game look like? And then we took, uh, took the, uh, screenshots, fake screenshots. Mm-hmm. There wasn't any actual single line of code written of that game. And that vision got sold to the operator decks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we have already secured the sales for that game before mm-hmm. we started the production. And then that way you align the whole team behind that same vision. Mm-hmm. You align all the stakeholders ar- around that same vision. Yeah. So that's the same approach that I, I still nowadays do. And it's kind of like a combination of the yeah. visual target, vertical slice approach of the AAA, and then the old school mobile development. End result is the same. You have a screenshot or a couple of screenshots that try to depict what will the game look like when it's done. Mm-hmm. Because uh, in my experience, it will never look better yeah. than the visual target. It yeah. will more likely fall short of the original vision. Yeah. And if you're not uh, strict enough with that visual target and really make sure that all stakeholders understand that that's the game you're going to be uh, working on, mm-hmm. it's going to be hard. Something will go wrong. So okay. that's why it's important to nail the visual target. So then within all that process, like we said, we'll, we'll go on to talk about your skills and abilities within leadership itself. So you've got, you know, in art direction, all these processes and yeah. where you're going to operate and do things to take things you know into that final product yeah. Yeah. within that obviously there's so many key things you need in terms of leadership like you know motivating the team getting yeah, no. all towards the same goal and same yeah. idea so what are your key skills and i i think it actually like this wasn't that planned how we mm-hmm. we, we scripted this but uh I think that approach is very much of the same thing that then i uh, approach leadership in general mm-hmm. It's about stakeholder management. It's about alignment. It's about uh, working with all the stakeholders, making sure that everybody's aligned. It's the only thing that is different is a little bit of the vocabulary we use when we talk about art and when we talk about leadership. Mm-hmm. Uh, because like, if you think about the visual target uh, of a game project, it aligns the, the production team, uh, maybe the C level or the management of the studio, um, it's alignment tool. Similarly, nowadays, uh, as an art director, most of the time I'm, I'm solving problems and, uh, making proposals and, uh, and trying to, uh, fix things from a little bit different perspective, but still it's about alignment. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my favorite tools, maybe it's not a skill because like it's more of a tool is then like, uh, what, what, uh, what I what we talked about over lunch earlier was the Japanese concept of Nemo Washi. Yeah. And it's it's something that I'm all, all the time I'm advocating for because it's such a great tool. And for those who don't know what it is, it's a direct translation of Nemo Washi is preparing the roots. Mm-hmm. Before you leave the tree, you have to prepare the roots. In the Japanese business culture, uh and this is, by the way, if you want to read more about it, it's from Toyota Way uh, book, uh, Business Classics. Uh, you have to prepare the roots before you can with tree. So uh, in Japanese business culture, it's more about aligning with the, especially the people above you. Mm-hmm. It's showing that you respect them. 
enough that you bring the proposal first to them. So they have first uh, opportunity to affect your proposal before you go and present it to everybody. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that's something that I do often in my, my role. So to say that's, I mean, we, we, we have got a, a point to make around like community, how do you foster collaboration and communication with it within an art team? So you're saying that leans very much in towards the skills and abilities that you need as an art director yeah. to, to, you know, lead an art team. Would you say the biggest one is around communication? Then? The, the, the biggest skill and, or maybe it's the skill is an attribute. Mm -hmm. I, I think it all, all goes into having empathy mm -hmm. because like to be able to sell you have to understand the needs of the the people who are yeah. selling to you. And this is the kind of, uh, so often I, like when I'm thinking about management or leadership, I'm, I'm talking about that it's kind of like mixture of uh, salesmanship and being mm -hmm. a servant. Yeah. You're servant to your team rather than the commander. You're serving your team, you're understanding their needs. You have to understand their needs to be able to serve them the best. Mm -hmm. But the same thing applies to uh, when you're selling, like when you're doing something and you try to make get a proposal forward, you have to have that same kind of skills and same kind of attributes. You have to have empathy. You have to be able to understand in a deep way what motivates the people so that you can lead them and inspire them to join into your yeah, yeah. and uh, follow you into the direction. Uh, now, how have you, as, as your skill within that, I take it it's obviously got a lot stronger over the years that, you know, you've been at Roville, but in your professional career as well, how have you developed that skill of like em empathic listening and being able to communicate? Obviously you said like you, you read things like Japanese, you know, business culture and the ways that different methodologies and things. So, how have you got from where you previously were eight, eight years ago to be able to develop that communication style now? I think it comes down to being like a um, very curious person. Mm -hmm. Like you, you have to be like, like instead of uh, just accepting it on the face value that this is how it works, you have to question the why. Like why does it work like this? Mm -hmm. Why is it like this? So then you, you end up like, okay, like uh, your team wants to get feedback, but why do they want to get feedback? What kind of feedback do they want to mm. get? And kind of like the more you do this kind of thinking of like, what is the reasoning for this, the better you're able to develop those skills. Of course, I would say like just hard work. You have to educate yourself. You have to uh, get, uh, don't build your whole approach on one book or one philosophy, like be critical of everything you read and like find the building blocks that work for you. Mm -hmm. The same goes for production. Like you don't just like take uh, one production methodology and just like force it on everybody, but you have to understand like what's the, the why is it important that we do this? Why is it important that we do this? And then you adapt your approach to the circumstances, the unique circumstances that you're trying to implement mm -hmm. something. In. So we we spoke a lot around communication then and leadership as an art style has been probably I'd say one of the, the biggest attributes that, that you need in terms of like leading an art team. What would you say is another? What what would be the next biggest thing for you be in terms of you've got, you know, good communication skills, what's another ability that you that you'd look for? Um I think to some extent you have to be a little bit stubborn, um, mm -hmm. but that's maybe just kind of uh, again more into the personal traits. Um, you have. Why'd you say that? Why'd you say stubborn? 
some sometimes you you have to like same as same as with uh, with um, approaches that you choose like don't just kind of take everything from the face value sometimes you have to question like why is it so mm -hmm. um sometimes you might get um answer like you have a proposal you get a like yeah no we're not doing that mm -hmm. instead of like taking the no for an answer uh you can use the skills like the empathy skills active listening skills uh, all of those skills and and utilize them into digging deeper why is it so what's the reason behind that you the straight up no yeah. somebody gave us an answer and then trying to understand like what is the thing that motivates them and what what are the things are, that are important to them so in most cases you're able to find true win-win scenarios mm -hmm. you're able to advance your own uh, agendas and your own proposals while you adapt them enough to help others yeah. succeed as well is there ever an element of you know you you talk about these win-win scenarios you know you want everyone to feel like they're included in their ideas and that like you say if you're ever gonna present a new idea you go through this methodology of making sure everyone's you're getting their thoughts and opinions do you ever in your mind think that this slot like is a slower process you know sometimes you could say i have a wealth of experience and i know that this direction is a better way to go and do you ever yeah. just be a little bit selfish and go like yeah. this is the route i'm taking yeah there there, there is kind of like um, it's a very good question. Um, I would like to kind of like say that uh, there's a really great podcast on uh, power. What is power? Mm -hmm. What is influence in general? It, um, if you want to look it up, like managertools.org has been mm -hmm. very helpful for me for nice. the past probably 15, 16 years. Still exists, still really good podcasts. Very US-centric though, so you have to take it with a grain of salt, but they had... Um, one podcast where they're discussing about the different levels of influence. All of us have different levels of influence, or all of us have different levels of power. You can think of them as power or influence. The same thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but you have your role power, your expertise power, and then you have your relationship power. And as a leader, you don't want to be relying on your role power. Like That's the same equivalent of like... Uh, when you say to a kid, like, don't do that because I say so. Mm -hmm. I'm your father. Tell, like, do what I do, yep. what I say. Um, you want to have your influence power or relationship power. Like, you want to uh, rather get them to want to stop what they're doing because they want to kind of, they, they respect yeah. you. They, yeah. they have the, the relationship is the thing that matters. Um, also, role power uh, is the kind of weakest way like you can force a thing through but you can't get people to uh, uh buy your approach yeah. with just dictating it mm -hmm. that's why i think like uh, uh, often the hard part of leadership is that uh, first you have to build the trust you have to lay the foundation uh and it will take time mm -hmm. you have uh, uh have to have trust and the trust goes both ways. Your team has to trust you. And once they, 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 you build that goodwill over time, it becomes easier for you to get your proposals true. Um, and it goes also not so much to your, uh, to your team, but also like higher up. Like once you've been in a company for a longer time, uh, you might notice that you don't necessarily always have to explain yeah. your uh, actions so thoroughly. 
Yeah, I was going to point out that they obviously gets easier over time the more yeah. experience you've been. So I take it in the the beginning, you know, when you first came into leadership, you first came into Rovio, that was like a lot of the groundwork. You were laying up a lot of that trust and maybe having to, you know, or explain everything sometimes and build that up. But now you've got into a position really where people have that respect and that trust for, for your decisions now. Yeah, it, it sometimes kind of uh, freaks me out because I... I... I'm I'm I'm, uh, I'm kind of like I I do trust my my kind of, kind of theoretical knowledge, but sometimes it freaks me out that people actually do trust me mm-hmm. in many of this, and they they do uh, trust my opinion, and that's also something that I have to take into account when I, I go to a meeting. That if I start do directly uh, talking about like what I would do, mm-hmm. people might shut up and just do what I what I say. Yeah. So. Nowadays, I also have to be conf- conscious of that very invisible power I have, which is means that I, I sometimes just need to kind of sit back, stay silent mm-hmm. in the meetings, let others others shine. Uh, what so, point in your career did you start to notice that a little bit? I think it's like something that I've I've always been uh, I've I've always been vocal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm I have really bad tendency of dominating meetings, um, but probably during the uh past uh what what would it is like during the past 10 years i've started to pay more attention to it that uh in some meetings i can't just be my dominate natural self mm-hmm. but i have to be more uh conscious about what does it do to the atmosphere if i do this sometimes i also have to just like if, if it's a meeting of some some uh team lead of mine i might intentionally skip that meeting mm. Because I, I feel that there's a danger if that I might make it my own meeting if I join. Yeah, so you are getting more conscious, the more experienced and, you know, seeing you, you get your word carries the more weight and actually can have more of an impact. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and it, it, it can be very dangerous if you mm. don't uh, really pay, pay attention to that responsibility. So like, power, isn't yeah, and it, it happens with everybody. And some people just are more my, mindful about it than others. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, I I first kind of started noticing it like when you go into like some ideating meeting and and there's like lots of lots of ideas and then you just like blurb like something that came to your mind on the spot and then everybody's like yeah that's a great idea let's <laughs> yeah, do it yeah. and you're like no yeah. like there has to be better ideas than the one that I just came up with yeah. during the meeting so then you start kind of paying attention to that kind of things okay interesting um i'm really uh interested in this next question so we, we have touched on it a, a little bit before but it's about how can you share um your process for developing an art style like particularly so from start to finish you know m- you know go into as much detail as you can within the time we've got but yeah. i i think it's it's pretty much the same that we actually went through with the first mm-hmm. uh, few couple of questions so it's kind of like going from from, from the actual need and developing from more abstract description of it all the way to towards more descriptive one. Um, I, I do 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 this uh, presentation every now and then about visual storytelling and there I do have my um, the, the amount of uh, tips I, I give varies on a day but it's like five to ten tips of uh, just cheating mm-hmm. on art style. And it, it comes down to the the kind of uh, tips and tricks about like uh, clever use of um, uh, 
symbols, for example. I, it comes from the learnings of the Angry Birds universe, where mm-hmm. like when the first movie was being made and uh, the the team on the the first movie were paying so much attention to having feather symbols on everywhere across the the bird island, and then the snouts on everywhere across the uh, big island. It was like these two symbols that were dominating every single asset uh, ever made for that franchise. And it was like, wow, that kind of realization that if you take one of those assets away, you can still see that that's from that franchise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And ever since that, it kind of changed my approach to art directing a lot. Because then I started to pay attention to that kind of things. Um, So go go in in more of that then. So a, a pivotal moment that changed you know, your approach to art direction was realizing that the impact that the, the style can have. Yeah, or, or maybe maybe that particular small detail about uh, art direction, like the, the clever use of symbols. Um, sometimes it's hard to just like take a symbol. Sometimes it becomes like more about the shape language, for example. Um, but nowadays, luckily, uh, I also have such a great art teams and art leads mm-hmm. in those art teams that I don't get to uh, luckily don't have to deal with that that much but I'm, I'm trying to kind of pass them the knowledge and the learnings I've had mm-hmm. but nowadays it's more important for me to just like hire people who are even better than I am on that yeah and um, actually that that has been something that I feel like I'm, I'm super privileged that I've got to work uh Throughout my career, I've got the opportunity of working with better and better and more awesome uh, art teams. Mm-hmm. And in the case of like uh, the Puzzle Studio in in Robbio, I've I've got to hire a lot of them. So I've managed to be there influencing the composure of the team as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I know you you like to ask a lot of questions about the art directing uh, mm-hmm. particularly, but I have to give it with that that disclaimer that. Uh, over the years, more and more of my focus has actually been going away from the mm-hmm. the traditional art directing. And in an organization like Rovio, it's the game teams that have the ownership of the yeah. art direction. And it's technically an art lead's job and responsibility of art directing the individual game's mm-hmm. uh, style. Whereas like me as an art director, my focus is much more on the people mm-hmm. and strategy. Mm-hmm. So, and it like my influence uh, on the games who can feel comes with a lot longer delay. Yeah, it's about kind of dictating uh, processes, uh, asking the game teams to work on defining some aspects of their art direction better. So it might be like uh, working on the art bibles, uh, working on the um, processes. Um, and then, for example, on a strategic level, like in in 2018, we stated into our long-term uh, strategy that we want to increase the amount of 3D mm-hmm. in our 2D pipelines. Yep. So we started like very systematically, year after year, developing those capabilities of being able t- to compete with uh, our biggest competitors. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, kind of art directing in a little bit different way. Yes, yeah. It's about kind of uh, understanding uh, what is the competition, what is the market looking like. So like from the 2018, like my my hypothesis for our studio was that 
there's going to be two kinds of competitors. There's going to be uh, big, big consolidation. There's going to be bigger and bigger companies doing bigger and bigger games. Back then, it was like Tencent doing uh, three thirty-two million games at the same time. Uh, so they they spent like uh, over ninety million or yeah. just developing one top crossing game. Um, so there was like that kind of games, and then there was more and more indie development games. So there was like seven hundred games every day uh, entering App Store. Mm. So like the decision there was like more like what is the area. Who are we wanting to compete with? Like, do we want to compete with the big players, or do we want to be competing for the scraps with the indies? So that that was the kind of like big pivotal moment for a studio as well. That we decided that we want to be there competing for the top crossing spots. We want to become the best studio doing this type of games. So we don't want to be uh, just kind of having no competitive edge whatsoever and competing with the uh, indie developers with small teams small uh, budgets uh, with games that look like that so we decided that the smartest way for us is to uh, work smart mm. not harder uh, develop capabilities that are improving our ability to produce art in a consistent way in a in a way that are less reliant on individual artist uh, style but more systematically improving the quality of our games so and it, we have been kind of systematically from 2018 then mm. kind of moving more and more of the balance of our art teams uh head count more from 2d artist to 3d artist mm. and now, nowadays it's more like combination of 2d artist 3d artist most of the time that most of our 2d artists have good capabilities on 3d Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's uh, that's that's kind of like where I focus most of my energy nowadays. Okay, we'll go on to. Uh, I know this is actually a topic that you're very passionate about, and you have a lot of insight in. And we've spoke about before on a previous podcast we've done. But um, how do you think emerging technologies will impact our direction? Uh, yeah, touchy touchy topic. Uh, I I was reading a good tweet from uh, Emmanuel, who's from Scenario. Uh, AI company producing uh, service for um, specifically for game industry use and uh, he was saying like uh, he was quoting somebody telling uh, about startup life that in startup life you have only two modes of being terrified and being excited and the sleep deprivation enhances both of those feelings Uh, and he was saying like it's the same for AI there's only the two modes of uh, looking at those mm-hmm. terrified yeah. and excitement. And the speed of development on that side kind of enhances both of those feelings. You're saying at the same time, you're like, oh my God, we're all screwed. It's, it's, it's terrible. But at the same time, you're like, oh my God, we'll be able to do so much more. We're going to be finally able to do these things that we've never had time to do. Uh, we're going to be able to do games that are like better looking and more complex and there's going to be so much more content that we're able to be able to make because like the reality in the game studios is that we're not producing as much content as we would like to we would always have to do more we would always have to do better quality so in a way you have to kind of embrace this kind of um, tools with an open mind and see the potential that they they offer in in just like enabling us to do more. I think uh, there was uh, 
So you're of that mindset, being more excited about. I'm I'm always a little bit always optimistic, and I, I don't see it. it I, I do see that there there's some real dangers in 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 some of the some of the things, and a lot of those have to be dealt on the kind of government regulators uh, level. Uh, some regulations needed to be put say uh, place. Some uh, safety mechanisms need to be built. Uh, currently, it's way too easy for anybody who knows how to do Python script to uh, install Auto GPT and let it loose with a wild, yeah. with dangerous uh, goals. Um, but at the same time, um, there's people doing amazing stuff uh, with uh, different kind of uh, stable diffusion and uh, mostly stable diffusion based tools. Mm -hmm. The the next sort of point was um, how you know how's your game director role changed over you know time. We spoke a lot around that around your you know maybe being from more of a art style direction and that type of stuff to more leadership. Maybe we just tie it into this aspect of new technology. So in terms of the future of art direction, you know, and with all these new technologies emerging all the time and seeing different things, you know, we've seen. ChatGTP and all these other tools for, for art created in the last sort of two years, you know, if you think 10 years ahead, like what, what's going to be there? Yeah. What is your sort of vision of the future within art direction? What would that role look like? Uh, I think it's going to be like um, um, even more on the substance knowledge. Mm -hmm. um, I think like many, many artists out there are giving uh, themselves like this favor of uh, on just kind of valuing them with their the quality of their execution but my message to all artists is is that you're much more valuable than your execution mm -hmm. skills mm -hmm. it's about the ideas you produce it's the how you uh, how you analyze the market and what kind of uh, how you serve the others uh, AI, uh, even kind of great tools like ChatGPT uh, or the ChatGPT API, um, it can look smart, but it doesn't truly underneath, like it doesn't understand the stuff it's producing, mm -hmm. and it doesn't have what I think is still the most important uh, aspect and attribute on the leadership and art direction, and it's the empathy, mm -hmm. understanding. Uh, for leadership, it's about understanding the sta different stakeholders, understanding the needs of your team, and for art directing, it's on about understanding the needs of the customer, mm. who's uh, who's the the person who's or the team or the company that is able to address the actual needs of the users the best. They're going to be winning the competition. Yeah. Okay. And what? Um, we're just for for a note, we're going to do some Q and A, so you can ask some questions. Um, We'll go on to them in about sort of five ten minutes. But last, lastly, what bits of advice would you give to aspiring game art directors? So probably people who have been in gaming companies for a while in leadership positions and wanting to make that transition into to art direction itself. What what sort of advice and you know where would you what would you tell them to do? I would ask them why. <laughs> uh, that 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 goes into like everything and that's my approach for yeah. uh career development as well is is that um like it needs to always start from verbalizing what is it that you want and uh same as like when you're approaching like external inputs of like 
how to do things, you should always think about like why. Why is that important? Uh, feedback is important. Why is it important? What are we trying to uh, move with our feedback? But the same applies to your internal thinking. Like when you have an idea like, hey, I want to become an art director. Why? Mm. You have to question yourself and think about like, why is it that I want it? Do I want it uh, for uh, status and prestige? Um, do I want to contribute in a wider way? Uh, do I just want to get better salary? All of those are good uh, answers to that question, but understanding that can lead you into realization that maybe it's not what I want to. Mm. I don't want to kind of discourage people. Like I, I think one thing that I would like to do is that I would like to demystify the role of an art director, especially the kind of an art director that I'm doing as a more people and strategy focused art director. Um, it's uh, uh, It comes with the pros and cons, especially like artists. Uh, the, the difference between an, being an art manager or individual contributor or art director and individual contributor, it's a totally different uh, job that you're doing mm. uh, and if you choose to pursue the role of leadership you have to understand what it will do to your ability to be the best artist it like the moment you decide that you're going to be an art lead or you're going to be an art director is also the moment where you have to kind of at least to some level you have to give up on your possibility of being the best artist out there because the others will most likely be still doing eight hours a day of hands-on work. Yeah. Whereas you're lucky if you have even eight hours a week for eight hours a month, yeah. like in my case, to do something that is close to hands-on for uh, individual contributors. I've heard that quite a lot, speaking to our directors yeah. before. They say they, they love the managerial type of aspects to their yeah. role, but they do miss the hands-on hour work that they try to do. So how often do you try and reserve time for yourself? To I, be able to... I, I still still pride myself of like being able to do, uh, well, maybe do, I would say like, maybe it's like more of like, I, I pride myself of being able to half-ass every single <laughs> job in, in my team. Uh, maybe exceptions being like more of the technical art roles. I don't, my, my technical abilities are not there. Uh, my ability is to produce concept arts. Um, yeah, I can do concepts, but we have so talented concept artists in, in the in in house um, illustrator. Actually, it goes like I could go through all the positions yeah. in our organization, and I can name so many people who are better than me in many of those. But I I do pride myself of, of having the basic understanding of like if I would be in a company the size of one would be probably able to do that it does that not tie into what we were talking earlier about the respects that people have you know because you come from a background of having some knowledge of it so you can actually relate to that conversation as well with them yeah i think th think so like um kind of like he, and it helps me in the being um like understanding where they're coming from mm -hmm. and uh, um kind of like it, it loops all the way to the the kind of like basics of what it is to be a leader mm -hmm. and how I, I, I earlier said that it's more of a, like a servant role because like the, the harsh reality of uh, being an art director or being an elite of any sort is that without your team, you're going to be just an individual contributor. Yeah. Um, and uh, without your team, you're not, you're, you're just 
what you're able to do with your own hands and you have to kind of also aspect uh, um, accept that that that's the reality um, which is kind of hard for some art directors because like you've probably seen a lot of art director portfolios and you've be probably part of like recruiting art directors. Mm-hmm. I've been hiring a lot of art directors and still when we're hiring art directors, we're, uh, emphasizing the portfolio, just like when we're, uh, hiring for individual contributors. Yeah. So even for an art director, you're just as good as your portfolio yeah, yeah, yeah. because like usually in many of the recruitment processes, you don't get to this moment where you can explain your approach of leadership and you don't get to kind of explain yourself too much because you might get, like, if your portfolio is not up to date, you get this, uh, this recorded or rejected, uh, before you get to interview. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Is there anything, um, like, would you ever, not that you regret it, but is there any other direction you would have ever taken from, you know, where you are now in terms of our direction and leadership, you know? you maybe summarize you know what Rovio has done for yourself in in your career over the past sort of eight years and the the opportunities it's given you to you know the teams and the people you've worked with but is there anything you would have done differently or changed on their experiences no no there, there there's not not really like yeah i i could have uh, gone to many other directions like i i wasn't uh meant to go into game industry i i i my initial thinking was that it's going to look horrible in my CV that I have a gaming company. What is gaming uh, compared to the glorious life of advertising? But I'm I'm so happy that I did that. Yeah, yeah. Um, same same with like I've always had like a huge interest in the business side of it, and initially I was kind of more keen on starting up my own company and like working more from the C- CEO type of roles. And just like leading the studio, but still, I, I'm, I'm kind of happy that I went with the mm-hmm. realization that actually art is is my domain, and I then went and developed the skills on that side, yeah, and I made career out of that. So, yeah, I, I don't, I don't miss anything. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I miss a lot, but I don't regret anything. Yeah. No, that's perfect. Well, I appreciate all of the the points you've given. It's been fantastic to listen to. And we're going to go um, to do some some questions, some Q and A for yourself. So, uh, my brilliant assistant Harry is going to add some questions up on the screen, but I actually can't see all of the writing there. So, give me one second, guys. Okay, there we go. So, uh, Alexis is asking: besides playing the games that you that are already out there, are there other pointers that help you understand the mark? Uh, the market and what games the market may want to see next. Sorry, Mike, I'm going to have to come a little bit closer. Let me read that again. Besides playing the games that are already out there, are there any are there other pointers that help you understand the market and what uh, what games in the market you may want to see next? Personally, for for me, like it's, it's I, I'm always intrigued in like one thing that I want to do when I'm making games, and then one thing that I I want uh, my game teams to do. Is that I, I like it when game teams are trying to break the molds and also uh, try to do something that competitors are unable to do. So always kind of uh, having the mentality of trying to do something that is going to blow people's minds, mm-hmm. not just kind of like settling for the ordinary, but trying to go for the extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of comes naturally from from my background 
when I was uh, start like be- way before I started my career. We should have actually started from the 1900s, <laughs> on, and maybe the demo scene and and my yeah. my kind of like agent history before I ended up in games. But like in demo scene, where you try to make uh, audiovisual demonstrations for uh, and try to get everything out of platform you're producing it, I. I, I still have that same mentality when it comes to making games. Mm-hmm. And those are the games that I get me most excited is when I'm playing the experience, I'm like asking all the time, how? Mm-hmm. How did they manage to do it? On AAA, it, it often comes by its like the proved uh, uh, production values. Like, how did they do Last of Us? Like, everything looks like a masterpiece. Like every single environment is so meticulously mm-hmm. done, so amazing, so great. Um, and then sometimes it goes to the kind of like simple games, like uh, like from my own history, the Brick Breaker Revolution, or from Rovio's uh, uh, history, the original Angry Birds. Like, how did they make the experience so smooth? How, how could they do it with that platform so it, it works so perfectly so kind of understanding the maybe I'm kind of like not answering directly to that question but like uh, I think it's like an important thing to, to understand the limitations and figure out how to kind of go beyond the limitations yeah I'd say it's a good answer hopefully we'll, we'll move on to uh, the next one. Oh wow this is a long one um, from Steven so we've got uh, when define a visual style could you provide more insight on the steps you go through to find an art style that fits for the audience and market positioning the game is targeting? How you decide which visual areas to innovate onto to make it stand out? Uh, I think this is an excellent question, and maybe I can be a little bit more specific about that. Um, I do have different approaches on that, but I I think like one one good approach is the the uh, the, the kind of ocean strategy where you you try to make like a matrix of like you uh think about like how are your competitors doing it and then you think about like where in those uh areas do you want to be similar dissimilar uh, where do you want to differentiate where do you want to be uh riding on the the wave of mm-hmm. your competitors and choosing strategically where do you want to innovate so uh in some markets it makes sense to innovate for example the the artistic rendering quality uh in some cases like you want to stick to the certain kind of expected rendering style mm. of it but you might might want to uh, uh enhance it with your like very courageous use of colors or uh your really wacky uh shape language mm-hmm. so Actually, like one thing that I, I didn't disclose in that when I was talking about like the, the art direction processes is that often it's very, very hard to answer like what is the style of the game with a one question. Mm-hmm. But it, it becomes ultimately a lot easier when you dissect that question into more sizable chunk. There is the saying that, uh, or the joke about like, how do you eat an elephant? You eat it one bite at a time mm-hmm. so you have this big question of an art style and you can dissect it into as many dimensions as possible like as needed you can have like one dimension that is uh, um, for example the three dimensionality of the the shading um, 
how realistic uh, the objects are, uh, lines, like outline styles, coloring styles, um, um, and as many aspects as, yeah. as you want. Yeah. And you can kind of, with all of those uh, different kind of smaller questions, you can do the decision separately on how uh, similar, dissimilar, how uh, innovative, non-innovative you want to be. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's often that if you want to make like a uh, standout game, it still makes sense that it's probably there like 60 to 80 percent similar mm -hmm. because you don't want to kind of freak people out with the art style you want there to be some kind of connection points to their earlier experiences and the other experience they're, they're used to um, and then there's like some of those aspects where you pretty much should never uh, try to be innovative like often user experience or like the uh, interaction models you have in your game. Like those are not the places where you want to be mm -hmm. too innovative out of no reason. If you have a good reason, of course, but in most cases, uh, you're making just like a disfavor for your audience and making it harder for them to play your game. Whereas with the core choices, I think you should always innovate on what the core palettes of your game are. So no, maybe that answer. answers that question. Yeah. Okay, next one then. Um, what method do you use when giving critical feedback to artists that are over overseeing to produce quality while at the same time keeping motivation high? Can you repeat? Yeah, of course. What what method do you use when giving critical feedback to artists who are overseeing you are overseeing? I imagine to produce quality yeah. while at the same time keeping motivation high. Yeah, that that, that that's a good uh, question. I I think like regardless of uh, feedback you're giving, like you, you have to first uh, focus on establishing the, the, the culture of trust. Mm -hmm. Then you're able to use your, your feedback methodologies. Uh, personally, I, um, um, I, I do have very distinct, very certain ways of delivering feedback. My feedback model is piggybacking, again, managertools.org for people who are into manager, man managerial stuff. Go check it out. A lot of free content, uh, a lot of very quality content, but they have like a very good uh, feedback model. And mm -hmm. when I first got introduced to that, like probably 15 years ago, I was like, that's a bit silly. That's a little bit overcomplicating something that should be very simple. But their feedback model is that you, you first ask whether somebody would like to have feedback. You first ask. If, if it's not the right time, it's okay for them to say like, no, I, mm -hmm. now it's not a good time. I want to finish this first. And then you come back later mm -hmm. and uh, make sure that people are re receptive to your feedback. Uh, then you you describe uh, the, the, the action. So like if it's a behavioral feedback, it's more like, hey, when you do this, uh, it affects. And then you describe what the act, like the, the result, mm -hmm. it affects this way. Uh, and then you offer a solution. And it's like, could you, Please, in future, you could you do it this way? Yeah. So you always kind of follow the same kind of uh, steps in all of the communication. Then when it, when it comes to kind of uh, feedback culture, is that you have to acknowledge that different kind of feedback is given by different people in different times. Mm -hmm. So when it's about like uh, art critique more than like feedback on somebody's behavior, uh, we often use, for example, Slack channels. So uh, then we have to in our feedback culture, agree on those kind of rules of conduct. Mm -hmm. We have to discuss about these things. Like uh, when somebody posts a uh, work in progress, 
mm. into a Slack channel. What does that mean? Is it an open uh, open call for anybody to throw their ideas on how to make it better? Uh, and in, for example, in our cases, we've decided that sometimes it can be too exhausting mm. um, and disheartening for artists to be exposed for that amount of feedback. So we've decided that it's better for us to have like a smaller groups where we can discuss. So, so like there's a separate artist channel yeah. where uh, everybody can comment freely without having fear of being judged. Um, Is that different as being with art? Because obviously giving feedback on behavior or, yeah. um, you know, production is, is maybe, you know, easier in a sense with art, it's subjective. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and that's, that's, that's the kind of thing that I, I also make that point quite often because like, uh, we, we treat like all feedback is feedback. What's the, what's the difference? But, uh, with art critique, uh, the, the purpose is, uh, sorry for the fancy word, but it's normative in, in nature. So you're trying to spot things that are, uh, either positively or negatively out of the norm, which is the standardized. Uh, mm -hmm. For example, like Art Bible says, this is the art stuff, and you want to uh, focus your feedback mostly on the deviations of that norm, right. the standard, the yeah. standardized look and feel. Uh, and in in most projects, uh, the the standardized look and feel is like a, it's not set in stone, but it's constantly in motion, mm -hmm. and every single uh, piece of art is all the time kind of challenging some of those standards, and it's. It's all the time being redefined and defined by every single piece of art that is produced for the game. Mm -hmm. um, so um, then it's it becomes like a more complex. But in in yes, it it, it is a little bit different. Yeah. Because like art critic is trying to find those deviations, whereas feedback on behavior uh, often it is also like hey. Uh, when you come into a meeting without pants, it freaks people out. Yeah. The next time, uh, have your pants on when you come to the meeting. So it's, but yeah. see, see how uh, the, the, the kind of like a feedback model works. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like I'm, I'm quite systematic with some of this. I mean, it's got uh, yeah. the, the fact that you went and said, uh, the very start of that is like asking, do you want to receive feedback? I've actually yeah. heard that recently at Evolution Do a course, um, called Franklin Cove, which is like seven habits of effective people and manage people. It's the first time I'd heard that before as where asking the person, do you actually want to hear feedback and that you prepared for the feedback first, it sort of sets them up, which, uh, that like, maybe I can con yeah. continue with one more point on mm -hmm. that. And that's, that's why I also like, like to do, for example, development talks a little bit differently in my teams mm -hmm. where like in traditionally you collect feedback and the, the manager comes into the development talk, like they have collected all the feedback from all the organization and then they start just like loading all that feedback on the individual and the individual is there like, why am I hearing this? Like, what is the, where is this coming from? Like, should I be defending myself? Yeah, and it's, it yeah. becomes like a very stressful situation. So like in my team, what we do, we do something that I call carrier talks mm -hmm. where the first question is like, what do you want? What would make you happy? Mm -hmm. What is there the next step that you want to aspire towards? And then we start discussing about like the re how realistic your aspirational next step is. Mm -hmm. And it's all about how can I help you as a supervisor 
uh, and and then the feedback I'll be giving to you is is my personal feedback uh, that is directly in context of what you want to do. Yeah, yeah. And then it's like easier for you to sit there and kind of take it back and actually adjust your behavior because it's not just some random feedback from all mm-hmm. or, or across the uh, the organization. Yeah, a huge difference there. No, and it's brilliant. I feel like it's a big part of yourself, your leadership style, but also the emphasis on Rovial and the emphasis they put on the people themselves rather than being organizational. But uh, I think we've got time for, we'll go one more, shall we? Um, yeah, one more question. Then we'll go, you, oh, Tatu, you mentioned that part of your role involves strategy and managing people with empathy. With emerging AI tools, what are your expectations regarding the skills of new hires? That's an interesting, very interesting question, actually. It's a very interesting question. I, I think we haven't yet seen where it it's gonna gonna be mm-hmm. taking, but it it's kind of reminds me of like I was just the other week I was thinking about um, that maybe I should do a blog post about how I was so wrong about <laughs> AI. Um, and just to be kind of like very quick beta with my 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 blog post <laughs> topics, uh, because like the main thing that I was wrong about the AI was the timing. Mm. Because I was I was the one of those like uh, village idiots screaming like ten or fifteen years ago that AI is going to be changing everything. Yeah, and it was like already affecting my hiring decisions like uh, over ten years ago because I was expecting things to happen faster than they actually did. Because like already like back then there was like a lot of research papers on how all the 3D would be automized and we were already like 10 years ago we were hoping for automatic retable tools that haven't been delivered even yet. So sometimes when we're looking at this kind of emerging technologies, uh, it's very, very hard for us to accurately say uh, for a fact what's going to be happening mm-hmm. and with what pace. Uh, sometimes uh, emerging uh, technologies go into very unexpected uh, routes. I was seriously expecting it to be that. Uh, and when I say that it was affecting my my, my uh, hiring already 10 years ago, was like my expectation was that uh, we shouldn't be hiring that much 3D skills or like pure 3D artists. Like we need to have more like hybrid roles where people are also talented as uh, as a game art generalists. Because I was thinking that a lot of the 3D work will be automized, mm. uh, and it affected my uh, personal uh, decisions on what I was learning back then. And I, I missed a lot of years of 3D learnings because I was kind of thinking that. Of course, this is, this is so easy to optimize. Like it will be optimized in a no time, mm-hmm. but it still hasn't. So, uh, with the you know quick growth of new AI technologies that have come out recently, has that opinion changed? Do you think it's still going to be a while before we see, or would you start to get to the point where you're encouraging new artists, younger artists, to start keeping up to date with all these games? I, I think everybody needs to kind of keep an eye on those. Uh, well, well may, maybe not necessarily because I, I think like the tools will be um, be part of the the new versions of the the tools we use. So um, there's going to be there were early adapters who's going to be doing like amazing stuff by just building their own models on top of stable diffusion and running it on Py- like they, they need to know a little bit of Python to to do that or understand how collapse work or have access to these tools. 
Um, but those are still, in my opinion, they are the early adapters. Mm. Um, and uh, eventually, all of those tools will be part of Photoshop, 3ds Max, Maya, Blender. So we don't, whether we want it or not, they will be making their ways into the tools we're currently using. Mm -hmm. So, uh, of course, it makes sense for us to kind of keep a good eye on what's happening. But at the same time, we can also sit back and let the early adapters do the heavy lifting and then enjoy the fruits of their labor yeah. in, in a more refined uh, way mm -hmm. later on. But it, it will definitely going to be adapted. Like, um, I, uh, I would say that everybody should have like an open mind and they, they should also understand like what part of the, the problems with these technologies are something that they should be blaming on the AI, what part of those are actually problems with the society, mm -hmm. what part of those are uh, international uh, legislation level problems. Mm. So there's like a lot of things that we'll just, we, we have to also be kind of uh, just take it easy, let the time to take its course, yes. see how it develops, and keep our eyes and minds open. Technology. Have we got one more here? Okay, last one. From Kim. What was the site for managerial tools? Also, hi, Tattoo, and thanks for all the mentoring in the past. <laughs> hi, Kim. <laughs> the site for managerial tools was, what was it? The Major, Managertools.org. Manage it. We'll get a link and we'll yeah, put it yeah. in uh, in the the LinkedIn post yeah. in the description. It, it, it's funny, so US centric. Yeah, uh, it, it comes like, uh, it, it, but it, with with a grain of salt, everything's yeah. All, yeah. all the knowledge is good. It's uh, not, and you know, what, what, like, well, what's great in that side is like they have a lot of things that is like very universal. Mm -hmm. Like it's not like. Many of the ways I work are like might be very dependent on the organizational structures and like most of my career I've worked in matrix organizations yeah. and uh, it's going to be different from different kind of organizational structure to another. But the stuff they teach, especially the basics, that like I still run one on ones pretty much the same way that they teach. Mm -hmm. I pretty much yeah. do the feedback with their feedback model. Uh, I still refer to them uh, when I talk about power yeah. in general. So there's a lot of like very good basics level stuff there. Yeah, perfect. Um, well, thank you very much for the discussion. It's been fantastic. Thanks. It was nice. Yeah, really enjoyed it. And thank you all for the questions and for, for tuning in. I'm sure we'll do another one of these discussions very soon, maybe around art leadership, maybe around something else. But um, it's been an absolute pleasure. So thank you very much. Thank you.